in order to know truly what the community's needs are, we need to stop and listen to them and let them talk and hear them out. And I think that's the only way we're going to be successful in order to address a lot of these health inequities. We may have all the answers, but in order to ensure that we're using the right resources, we need to hear from them what their needs are. Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard, and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast, like the CSRHA, brings together leaders in rural healthcare with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what is happening across today's rural health ecosystem. You'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they are finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. I'm Janelyn Villasenor, your host for today's episode, along with my fellow board member, Scott Hertzberg. And in this episode, we had a fantastic conversation with a director of government and community affairs of Golden Valley Health Centers. Uh, Yamilet is an advocate for social justice, health and equity in education, and is involved in several coalitions and efforts around these areas. I just, I loved for Today, she talked about the power of listening. When we're creating those partnerships, the power of building relationships with community and the innovative ways to foster those relationships with partners. Some of the things that they're doing are just are really innovative, and I'm really excited about this episode. Yeah, it was really, you know, for me, not working hands-on providing healthcare. It was really wonderful to hear the different avenues that she and her team have taken. So hitting people where they live, because sometimes they can't come to you. It's just fantastic to hear all the different ways that they are utilizing to make sure that their community needs are met. And I'm glad we got someone who works with the FQs and works with CHCs, because that is part of our rural health group, or part of our rural health family, and we've not heard from them as much. Absolutely. And I would definitely say some of my key takeaways was really just feeling good about you know, myself living in a rural area, just that that being reminded of that rural resiliency that we're all known for. Like we we're getting things done. And you know, when things happen, we come together and we're there for our community. And this episode really hit home on that for me. Well, Scott, I think folks are really gonna enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Yamilet. So Yamina, tell me a little bit about your background and about the community you serve. Yeah, definitely. Uh, such a pleasure to be here with all of you and be able to share a little bit about what we're doing here in the Central Valley at Golden Valley Health Centers. So Golden Valley Health Centers is a federally qualified health center. And as you know, community health centers serve one in five people living in rural communities. More than 91% of health center patients are individuals or families living at or below 200% of the federal poverty guideline. And more than 60% are racial or ethnic minorities. So Golden Valley Health Centers, we provide various different healthcare service access, whether it's medical, dental, behavioral health, health education, and different specialties in the Central Valley in the counties of Merced, Stanislaus, and San Joaquin counties. 
we serve over 150,000 patients in this area. Oh my goodness. Yes, and we have 42 health centers. We all know it's been over a year since the first cases of COVID-19 were detected in California. And while the vaccine rollout has brought hope that this pandemic will eventually be behind us, you know, distribution problems threaten that progress, especially in rural areas. And at this point, we know who is at greatest risk of contracting or dying from the virus in our state. They are the essential workers, Latino, Black, and Native American, Pacific Islander populations, immigrants, and low-income communities. How have your patients, Yamile, and the community responded to information about COVID-19 and the vaccine in general? Well, you know, just like you said, Jana, it's been a year, and we have definitely had various different learning curves along this year. One thing is for sure, people are hungry for facts. There's a lot of political division, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there, but at the end of the day, people want facts. They want information. They want to be part of the process. They want to be included in some of these decision-making processes when it comes to reaching out to the community. One thing that the patients in the community has responded is it's definitely shown the love for community. A lot of people have definitely stepped up to the plate. A lot of organizations are working together from government to educational to health to community-based organization and nonprofits. So one of the things that I've definitely seen is the fact that we all carry each other as a community. Going through COVID-19 has definitely been a life changer that has uncovered a lot of health inequities. And in order to be able to truly have transformative growth around healthcare, we need to ensure that we are inclusive, that we are inviting people to the table and we're listening. We're listening because we can't make assumptions that a certain community needs something when we're not listening to their needs. I think that many times that's one of the things that happens where some organizations make assumptions that all of the organizations need the same thing. No, we need to listen to the community leaders and ensure that we provide them the information that they're asking for, whether it's an educational forum, whether it's an outreach panel. But that's one of the things that I believe that we've learned during this time, definitely. I love that you brought up community because when we talk about rural communities, the disparities within rural communities as well, we always hear about Rural communities have you know, the worst rates of chronic disease and illness and all of these things that we know are true, yet what your organization and what a lot of partners have been doing for many years in rural communities is really leveraging that partnership to showcase the rural resiliency. You know, that's what I love about the power of rural and myself living in a rural community, working in a rural community, is we have grit. We definitely... You know, when times get tough, we band together. And that resiliency that you're mentioning right now is just, it's so remember to remember, and especially when we're working with so many diverse populations that, you know, not every community, even though all the rural communities are small, you can go from Modesto to Patterson and it's a whole different clientele and it's a whole different toolkit that you need to find out what are the needs of this community and not just, you know, these are all the bad things going on. This is what we have to fix. It's how can we help? And going into that with communication with communities, what's been the best 
vehicle for communication, would you say, with these populations, especially amid the pandemic? How have you guys shifted that communication or outreach? You know, it's great that you asked this question because it has uncovered a lot of, and, and I keep on going back to community because at the end of the day, the communities are the one that makes stronger. The outreach has definitely been shifted to more on a um, technology like social media, but also porch information drop-offs, working with partners. For example, during National Health Center Week, during National Health Center Week, what we did is we ended up working with a food bank and a workforce development organization, as well as the Stanislaus Housing Authority. Each one of these partners were able to provide wonderful information in regards to like this porch drop-off. We were able to drop off food, information about healthcare access, information about workforce development. And obviously, you know, the housing authority was the one who allowed us to point it out, which were the locations that we needed to ensure that we could come out and needed to provide more information to, which was our essential workers, low income. So some in person like that, but television, I've done a lot on television, especially on uh, radio. I was just on the Catholic radio yesterday, sharing a lot of like really good information around vaccine education, partner presentations on you know education background around COVID. First it was COVID prevention. What is COVID? How can I prevent it? Then we shifted to testing. Why do we have to test? What does it mean? Now it's vaccine education. But through all of it, our partners have carried us on, whether it's public health, whether it's a promotora network, community-based organizations, our elected officials. But we realize that our communication and our outreach has shifted towards working as community. I love the porch drop-offs. I had not seen that with other people. That's a fantastic idea. You know, my wife is a teacher, and one of the things that we're talking about is how getting kids to connect with their schools. And you have all these people trying to build a better mousetrap here. And then you have folks in Mexico that are like, yeah, we're just going to broadcast the lessons on TV. We know everybody has a TV. They may not have internet. They may not have broadband, even if they do have internet. But we know they've got TV. I'm glad that you're utilizing this other vehicle that we know people have access to and hitting them exactly where they are. It's perfect. Exactly. And, you know, you touched on a school. Our school districts have also been tremendous help. We have school-based health centers. And so even though the kids were not going to school, they still needed to have access to food. So the schools kicked in, right? They were providing like food boxes. And so we were there also as community health centers with outreach information, like little bags full of PPE, education around COVID, hand sanitizers, whatever we could get to ensure that people had access to learning. So it's being creative and working with who we partner that are always going to make us stronger, right? You mentioned partners like housing, education, food resources. Can you talk to me a little bit about transportation? As you know, transportation is a big challenge for clients in rural areas. And I believe you mentioned that Golden Valley recently launched a mobile clinic. Has, have you guys, has that been successful during COVID-19? I mean, is that something you guys are kind of pushing forward right now or kind of taking a backseat with? So the way that we're doing our mobile clinics is that we'll schedule clinics at our clinics. Like, for example, we'll have a clinic in Newman in Riverbank, and we'll hold vaccination clinics at those locations in Empire, at the most rural areas. We are actually in the process of 
doing a actual mobile that will be writing into places as well. But our mobile clinics is that we have set locations in the larger cities like Modesto, Merced, but we need to ensure that we go where the community is. And so we have those health centers in the smaller areas, um, like in Los Baños. And like I mentioned, you know, these smaller cities. So we need to ensure that we're there and serving the community and working with our partners there, like the school districts, to make sure that they're promoting these events for us. Texting our patients, you know, technology has been extremely helpful, but it's also a barrier, you know. So the way that we utilize technology and it has been a success is texting our patients, letting them know, hey, we're going to have a vaccine clinic in Los Baños next week. Did you want to set up an appointment for it? Text yes or no. You know, it's fantastic. But then also technology has been the largest barrier for those who do not have access to technology, who may not be on social media, who even though they have a smartphone, that doesn't mean that they're able to navigate the internet or navigate applications. The cell data, right? I mean, some, a lot of us, myself included, I have a cell data plan that's not unlimited. You know, I can't just throw my screen on and let my child watch whatever show she wants. We have to preserve our cell data. And we're at the end of the month, so we don't touch our cell data right now. <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like, right, for our patients. We have to keep that in mind as well, as you know, even if they're on a government plan for internet or a smartphone, it's still regulate restricted bandwidth. And especially in these smaller areas. And, you know, we can go into that with a whole nother conversation about broadband, but. Oh, agreed. That's coming up next. It, you know, telehealth consultations have definitely carried uh, the patients forward right now with medical telehealth consultations over the phone, not necessarily on video. We need to ensure that those stay mental health. You know, a lot of times people are they're working and there's no way that they can take two or three hours off a week to drive to a clinic to see their mental health counselor. But guess what? They can take a quick break and talk to the mental health counselor or do it during their lunch. So I could definitely, I'm, I'm a big champion when it comes to telehealth because I saw the true benefits of it during this pandemic. So there are folks listening today that may are thinking about forming those partnerships that haven't maybe had the opportunity to form those partnerships yet. And I know with the work that you've been doing in the community, it's been a while. I mean, you've had to work a very long time to really strengthen those relationships. So now amid a pandemic, you're able to really leverage that partnership power. What would be your advice for folks listening today that want to start making those partnerships now or who are in the beginning stages? Like what advice would you give to them and what to do after the pandemic? You know, when things settle down, how do we keep those partnerships alive? So when we have another pandemic or emergency, we're able to really just reach in and work with those folks. I think there's opportunities to work with these folks, even when we get back to who knows what the normal will be. But it's so critical and important to build these relationships first. If you're a rural clinic and there's schools next to your clinic, it is absolutely critical and important that you have a good relationship with the school district. That is absolutely important because you are able to provide information to those families, especially, you know, healthcare access to the families in general. So it's important and critical to continue these relationships. Your elected officials, that's a really, really big one. They can connect you to other community based organizations that you can possibly work with and strategize on different projects that you might have 
And we always need letters of support and providing letters of support to others. And what best way than to learn what their services are, what their goals are, and what opportunities are out there to work together. Another big one that I would really recommend is reach out and find out if there's a promotora network locally. Because there's some promotora networks that are part of like regional wide and it's extremely important that you work with the promotora networks because they are trusted messengers in that community. I work very closely with us in the Merced County area and in the Stanislaus and San Joaquin area, especially the Tracy and Antica area. And I'll tell you, those promotoras are amazing. They're connected and people trust them. Another big one that people sometimes don't realize how important it is, is working with local businesses. Like I just went to pick up my lunch a little while ago at, at a Mexican grocery store. They have a deli there. And so we were just talking with the owner and she says, hey, whenever you want to send your outreach people here, please, you know, send them over and, and they can provide flyers. They can do education, whatever you want them to do. And she says, I'll let them be in here. She showed me a little space. And, you know, let's utilize their local partners, not just during the pandemic, but also after the pandemic, because the power of partnerships is huge. It almost reminds me of like grassroots advocacy. It really creates a larger movement. It truly does. So work with them and your local radio stations, make yourself available for your local radio stations when they want to touch on a specific subject around healthcare. I have my doctors here we do videos all the time and panels all the time with our county public health departments because not only are we serving the community, but we're strengthening those relationships. And they think of us when they're thinking health, they know who to reach out to. And that's really what it's about. At the end of the day, you know, we're all working towards serving the same community and we all have different specialties. So let's all use our superpowers, right? To ensure that we're really, really helping our community thrive. Can you, just for folks on the phone that don't know what that network is, can you just kind of give a little brief background of promotoras? So promotoras are um, community health workers, and they could be paid or they can be volunteer. They tend to be trusted messengers in their communities. So most likely they live in the neighborhood, and some are like, it's the trusted people that people go to. Hey, where do I get this service from? Or or they listen, you know, people trust them because they're providing them with this mental health focus, or they help them navigate certain systems. So there's different promotoras networks. And like I said, some are paid because we're seeing more and more investment around that network, either through like there's a promotora project with UC San Francisco and UC Merced and in Merced County, Planada specifically, that I'm working with. And it's beautiful to see these projects thrive. And then there's the Stanislaus County one where I see that behavior health and recovery services here in the county, they provided a grant to promotoras in every single part of the community to be able to focus on mental health and helping their neighbors navigate through the mental health system. So it's fantastic. It's a great concept. And like I said, you know, some are volunteers, some are paid. Just look up um, Protora Networks and reach out to them and find out, hey, do you have a network in this particular county or state where you're from? And they will guide you to the contacts, the local contacts, because I'll tell you, it's definitely working with people who are connected in the community and trusted. 
Well, because heart disease and heart disease and diabetes didn't take a break while we were doing all this coronavirus. <laughs> These are men and women that are from the community, especially when we think about vaccine hesitancy with communities of color. It's there's a valid reason. It's mistrust in the medical community, and that's the, the historical context of it. And you bring in these promotoras that they not only gain that trust of the community, but they're also empowering themselves. They're teaching other folks in the community how to do what they're doing. I've seen that before working with promotoras when you know they've gotten their tias to join in and to also spread the word, whether it was diabetes prevention or just nutrition. It was just so wonderful to see kind of that connection and also the community, especially in rural areas. I mean, we, we have a lot of pride as well, right? To learn how to do things ourselves. It's the promotoras provide that pathway. Definitely. We have community health worker here at Golden Valley Health Centers. And some, obviously, some FQs, federally qualified health centers or community health centers have promotoras or community health workers. And I cannot tell you how valuable those programs are because they're, again, like you said, the trusted messengers. And it's important that we work together and empower them. I serve on a lot of uh, different panels with them. You know, they, sometimes they'll ask me a, a mental health specialist or a doctor, or if I can present information on a specific topics. So I always make myself available. So, you know, the rollout for the general population for the vaccine is just around the corner. How do you envision managing the, in terms of the numbers and reaching patients living in the outer regions of your area? Does Golden Valley have a plan to work with partners in the community on the vaccine effort? And as you mentioned, it would be an opportunity as well, I guess, to also address the other health prevention issues that a lot of communities are experiencing as well. Nothing took a break. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. And to the contrary, it really showed us that how more vulnerable uh, people with chronic illnesses are. So more than ever, we need to provide health education and health access to the most vulnerable communities. You know, definitely working with the trusted messengers in the communities, the school districts, ensure that we work with the reflection of the community, that we're inclusive. We cannot assume that we know what the needs are. We need to listen. So that's a big one that I always say, you know, we need to listen and work with service clubs too. They would be great to come out and help you when you have these huge vaccine efforts or clinics. Service clubs, they're out there. They can help you with crowd control. They can help you lining people up. And I think that's why it's so important to acknowledge that and don't take anybody for granted. And again, one thing that I really, really want to focus on in order to address these health inequities, we need to be sensitive to the cultural needs of the community. So really ensure that cultural sensitivity is at the forefront when it comes to your planning on addressing health inequities and the social determinants of health. You touched on a couple today, transportation barriers, technology, housing, pesticides. There are so many that affect our community. So we have to take a bigger dive and address some of those one at a time. Right. But that's the only way we're going to create change. Absolutely. And we touched on successful partnerships, things that we can do. Sometimes I myself, you know, having been in a similar position as you where I worked on creating partnerships in rural areas, I'm, I'm going to be honest, sometimes I was unsuccessful or I had an idea for a partnership where as the provider of the health agency, I thought, OK, this is what we're going to do. And sometimes that project or that partnership didn't work out. And when I reflect back on what I did and what I could have done, the advice that I would give would be 
being consistent, not just forming that partnership for an outcome that you need, but also making it consistent. And that's something coming, you know, moving back to, I'm located in Kern County. So moving back to Kern County after being away for 10 plus years and working more on a statewide level and coming back to my community, that's something that I hold to my core now which is sometimes folks come to our communities, they come and then we never hear from them. And it's a touchy subject, but what I've learned is really check in with that community. Really do the work before you create that partnership or that project and find out, is this what they really need? Instead of, this is what the data is telling me. And with that, I would ask, have you kind of experienced the same thing in your many years of forming partnerships? What are some things that you've noticed or seen that you want people to know to consider? Well, before you jump in, is really truly assess the needs of that community. I'm going to give you an example. I remember when I was working at another organization that provided basically assistance and access to education and immigration and other things. We did a lot of advocacy. And so we went into a neighborhood. And when I was driving into a neighborhood, I saw that there was no sidewalks, right? And I thought, okay, they're going to need sidewalks here. And they're, you know, my, I had all these and I was like already like, yeah, they're going to need sidewalks here and they're going to need, you know, I'm making all these observations. And when we were talking to the community, you know what they asked for? They asked, their main concern was that there was a lot of dogs that were loose. And when the kids were walking to school, they were getting bitten. And I'm like, wow, you know, here I made the assumption that sidewalks was the last thing on their mind. Because they wanted safety, security, they wanted more lights. Obviously, when during the day, they're like, we want more lighting. We want, the, we want law enforcement to listen to us, animal control to listen to us when we call them. We want to be safe. And I'm like, you know, we all want the same things, but we all assume that we know a community just because we see it from the exterior. And in order to know truly what the community's needs are, we need to stop and listen to them and let them talk and hear them out. And I think that's the only way we're going to be successful in order to address a lot of these health inequities. We may have all the answers, but in order to ensure that we're using the right resources, we need to hear from them what their needs are. Absolutely, that's such a great example, definitely. What is a recent win that you wanna share with us from your own experience from the last few weeks? Something that's just made you feel good about the work that you do. Being able to provide vaccine outreach information to the community has been a big win for me. Seeing the aha in the faces of the people, when whether it's a Zoom meeting um, or whether it's you know getting those questions on that radio station, so many people are hungry for facts, but they don't know where to find them, and that's the reason why it's so important to ensure that you know who your audience is. And you come up with culturally sensitive material so you can share with them. And never talk down to people. People are, you know, just because they speak a different language doesn't mean, oh, we need to talk to them differently. You know, no, be very precise on what you're stating. And people will respect that people want to know the facts. And ensure that um, if you have other staff members that speak different languages, then that means that you also have patients that speak different languages. Leverage that. Reach out to community leaders if you don't have a um, staff member that speaks a specific language, but you know there's a significant um, population in, in the community that you're serving. And ask them, hey, can, do you mind doing a video for us? Or do you mind sharing why you got the vaccine? So working in that has really given me a lot 
lot of satisfaction. And honestly, you know, with the American Rescue Plan that President Biden came out with, I'm really excited because I've been reading that and it's going to provide not only help now for to address the pandemic needs, which is testing, treatment, vaccine access, especially for communities um, that have been impacted the most, the 40%. That's a big win when the governor announced that and President Biden. That was a big win. I remember that. But they're also investing in infrastructure as we move forward. And I want to make sure that we all take advantage of this funding so we can create better processes to address those health inequities that were uncovered during COVID-19. I love that you mentioned listening, just taking a moment and listening. I, I wanted to share a quick story that something that I've learned also recently, just in my own personal family, you know, I'm first generation and my mother is an ICU nurse and she's from another country. And I remember when she's been seeing COVID patients in a very small rural area for the past year and to see what she's gone through. And when the vaccine came out, you know, I just immediately assumed, oh, she's going to get it right away. She just knows what to do. And I didn't really listen to her when she said, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the vaccine. And I was really, like, I was angry. I was like, how could you not want to get the vaccine? Like, you work in the ICU. And then I had to check myself as well and think about what my mom has been through. Being from another country, crossing over, being here, working her way through school and becoming a U.S. citizen, I think about 10 years ago. And I had to remember that no one ever listened to her. No one ever, you know, mm-hmm. there was this medical mistrust. She didn't have that trust in the medical community. That's why she went into medicine because she wanted to be that bilingual nurse, that the woman that would help the familia in another language and really, you know, bring that community And I just started listening to her of her reasons why. And then it clicked to me that, you know what, no one has ever just listened, given her the the facts and made her feel like, you know what, we know you work in medicine, but we acknowledge that our medical community has let you, disappointed you. And I felt that once we had that discussion, she eventually did get the vaccine. Now she's out there advocating. She's out there listening and also understanding and acknowledging that we can't just assume that someone's going to get it just because it's what they're supposed to do. But there's a lot of that, you know, the inequity, the historical context of it as well. And we have a lot of work to do. And I think with Biden's plan and the work that we're all doing, we're really taking this opportunity to address those inequities. We're more prepared next time this comes. I agree. I hope there's not a next time though, Jana. (laughs) I hope there's not a next time. But if anything ever happens, I feel we are, you're absolutely right. We're going to be ready. But I really love that you touched on that story because again, it's the same example. We cannot make assumptions. We need to hear people out to be able to address those questions. And as soon as she was able to get those answers and, you know, from, she did her own research, found the correct answers and made the decision to get the vaccine, then she's able to communicate to others that may have had the same doubts as she had. Absolutely. I can't wait for this episode to air. So no, I I love the example. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Well, Yamalit, I am so happy that we were able to spend this last half hour with you. I know I have learned a ton and I'm glad for the work that you're doing out in our communities and making sure that people are getting that information and getting the resources they need. So on behalf of me, I say thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Jana, I don't know where you found her, but this is a fantastic win for us. (laughs) 
Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the space. And I just feel that I do honestly believe in community engagement. I do honestly believe in the power that we each one of us have different superpowers. And when we unite, you know, our superpowers, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in faith, education, we can really create better environment for our communities. We truly can. And for folks listening today, if you just want to have a conversation with us at CSRHA and maybe get in contact with Yamilet to find out some more tips and suggestions on forming those partnerships, please feel free to contact us on our website, uh, which is Scott. CSRHA.org. Yes. And we will definitely get in touch. So again, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Take care, everybody. This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrha.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRHA Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association. This is Rural Health. It's copyright 2021 by the California State Rural Health Association. To find out more about the CSRHA, visit us at csrha.org.